everybody knows I've had points where I've lost everything. I've bombed so badly. The entire career was lost and I started from scratch in new careers. And, and other times I just, my interest switched and I sincerely wanted to reinvent myself to a new career. And doing that is a lonely and scary feeling. Reinvent Yourself, the book, is all about taking action no matter where you are starting from. And in this book, I disclose how I, and also I tell dozens of stories of other people, how we've turned our lives around and, and how I know you can too, no matter where you're starting from, because I've started from the bottom. Whether you want to supplement your income with a little extra cash or replace your job, or even if you're looking for a way to fund your retirement or just simply your interests have changed and now you have to start from scratch in a new area of life, the book Reinvent Yourself will show you how. I've reserved a copy for anyone listening to this today. All you have to do is go to www.reinventbook.net. That's www.reinventbook.net to learn more. That's www.reinventbook.net. And I really appreciate any feedback as well on this. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to get killed. And we see it. We show videos of it. You know, where that's all the officers have is extreme force. But the damage it does to a community. I called you to come take care of my husband. He hasn't taken his medicine. And you came in and you shot him. And, he, and he's dead. You know, we hear this all the time. You know, just because extreme force may be justified doesn't mean it's right. You know, lawful but awful is a term we use in policing. I'll repeat, you were sending me a, a horrific video every single day. <laughs> and <laughs> I we... would wait for the video. And I was showing them to people around me, and they're like, please stop showing me these videos. Like, they're horrific. And, you know, what are the actual statistics? What were the numbers on this problem? You know, about a 1,000 people die at the hands of law enforcement every year. A large part of those are people with some type of crisis or mental health. That's the reality of it. And also in a place like New York City, I think it's once every four minutes, there's a mental health call itself. And believe me, you're amped up. You know, your head's going at 100 miles per hour, watching the hands, listening to communication. Are they going to run? Are they going to take off? All of a sudden, it's a foot chase, and you have their back towards you. Anything can happen there. I mean, officers today have a tough job, and they wear body cameras to watch everything they do. But that uncertainty goes on every day in an officer's mind. You know, do I pull my firearm? If that's the only device you have, we've had police departments that they don't have any intermediate or less lethal weapons on them in America. So we need to give them those tools. This sponsor must love me. You guys must be clicking on them left and right because it is really useful. So introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform with NetSuite. You save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and counting, orders, HR, marketing, everything. It's like one big dashboard right from your desktop or phone. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash James. Who doesn't want to grow their profits? netsuite.com slash James. Download a free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits. That's at netsuite.com slash James. So I've got with me today Chief Don DeLuca and Scott Cohen, who's an old friend of the podcast, been on twice before. I'll introduce uh, the, the chief for a second. First off, welcome, guys. Oh, thank you for Thanks, having us. James. And uh, Chief Don DeLuca, you were 
the chief of police in Miami Beach, Miami then Beach. Doral, and then you were the head of the IACP, which is the International Association of Chiefs of Police, which means basically you were the top police officer in the world. I'm going to say it. You're going to be self-deprecating, but how many countries were represented in the IACP? First, you are very, you're way too generous. <laughs> it, it's the, the biggest ex law enforcement executive association. We're in 165 countries, oh, almost 32,000 uh, members. So, and, and like, like just name some of the countries. What's like some of the obscure countries? Uh, obscure, you, I, obscure would be too hard to say, but I could say wherever from South America, Central America, Asia, we're all over the world. So you saw all the issues facing basically law enforcement around the world. Not only, I mean, how, how, you were like in Miami Beach for 20 years, 20 some years. 26 years, the last six as the chief. Yeah, and then, uh, so you've seen everything there is to see in law enforcement, the good, the bad, the ugly, and there's been a lot of all three categories. And, you know, like, like recently in the past few years, we've seen horrible things, or at least it's been made aware in the media. I mean, I... You know, so, so Scott, you, you used to send me videos like every day. Here's another person being shot accidentally, not, not necessarily, you know, just whatever, or here's, here's another person being tasered. I, you sent me one video that sticks with me that I just mentioned to, uh, chief DeLuca, which is, uh, the kid who was mentally ill in a shower and they were trying to restrain him. They couldn't. He was mentally ill. He was all over the place. And they tasered him in a shower. So the taser combined, you're getting 50,000 volts with the taser. And then the combined with the water, he's got electrocuted to death. It's like an 18-year-old kid. His mom was screaming. Yeah, once it gets on your radar, you start looking at this issue, um, there's nonstop encounters that um, are really disturbing. And, and if you really want to dig a little bit deeper... Um, your inbox could be flooded with um, activity from on a daily basis. So I think you did dig deeper because I was getting videos every day from you and I was showing them to people around me and they're like, please stop showing me these videos. Like they're horrific. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into a little bit uh, how you and I were talking about this back in 2016. But uh, Don, I want to talk to you a little bit about what, you know, A, your background and, and B, what you see what you've seen is kind of the problems in law enforcement and my, my, I mean, this is such a worldwide problem. Mentally ill people are, are getting, and it's, it's not, I, I want to make it clear. It's not anyone's fault. It's just the equipment wasn't there. If, if someone, if someone is within a certain radius, let's call it 20 feet and they're, they're a danger to themselves or a danger to the people around them. And a police officer says, stop. And they don't comply. Some, force has to be used, right? You're exactly right. And, you know, I was in law enforcement over three decades and I've seen the challenges, but they've kind of amplified to a place that's never been before. Everybody is very aware of what law enforcement does. They see the videos every day, like you talked about, but we're only as good as the tools we give our officers. So there's going to be some tough choices moving forward. You know, if you have a tool and it's only considered like extreme force and you give that to your officers, you're going to have these unfortunate circumstances where people are getting electronically deviced, getting hit with an ass, hit with a, a pepper ball, you know, 40, 40 millimeter bean bags. It's just the optics are ugly. So a, a bean bag, when I think of that, I think of like, oh, this thing I lounge on <laughs> in my home. Like you're, you're saying that's not a, a well, well, actually, actually, if you don't mind, let me back up one second. Like when you first entered law enforcement, you were a cop, you probably had your reasons for being a police officer. Uh, which we can get into, 
But what's the worst? First off, were you, would you wake up scared? Like, what am I going to have to do today? No, I, I didn't wake up scared. You know, uh, we, large part, law enforcement's well-trained. But it's what are the tools we train them with and what are we training for? My beach, I was very blessed to have a, a well-trained organization I worked with. And as a leader there, you know, I emphasize training and tools and technology, always the best, you know, for my officers. Because how professional you are is commensurate to the tools and training you give your folks. Did you did you ever have an officer working for you who was killed on duty? Uh, when I was in law in Miami Beach, we had a couple officers killed in the line of duty. W what happened then? Uh, one was a drug deal that gone bad. Uh, guy, twenty five feet, twenty five yards, shot over his shoulder, hit him right in the head with a twenty five caliber. Hmm. Another one was an officer dealing with a mentally ill guy that he arrested all the time on the beach. Uh, uh, sleeping in the open, lodging in the open, or whatever the charges were, shot him in the back of the head one day, just decided he was going to kill this guy, officer who arrested him. And this is an officer who was a businessman in Miami Beach at 50 years old. He joined the force mm. and uh, very unfortunate. So, you know, pro tomorrow's promise to nobody is a reality. And what the officers face today are, are grave. You know, uh, we've become the de facto social services. All the ugliness of the world is thrown at the police and say, hey, fix it. 911's the answer. You call the cops. Mental but, health, mental illness, things we never had to deal with. Today, domestic. we're at the forefront. Yeah, domestics. We're the answer for everybody. And so so when you're an officer, and I was thinking specifically when you were an officer and you're approaching a situation mentally ill or a, a drug deal that you see or domestic abuse or whatever, is there a moment where you're like, you don't know what's going, anything can happen. There's always that moment where Dice is being rolled. The, the moment between no longer and not yet, that moment of uncertainty, you don't know what's going to happen next. And believe, believe me, you're amped up. You know, your head's going at 100 miles per hour, watching the hands, listening to communication. Are they going to run? Are they going to take off? All of a sudden, it's a foot chase, and you have their back towards you. Anything can happen there. I mean, officers today have a tough job, and they wear body cameras and their cell phones to watch everything they do. Right, so they're afraid to, I don't know, what are they afraid to do? Well, with the body cameras. Well, the body camera captures everything, which is a good thing. It's mm -hmm. good for the officers, I believe. Uh, I don't believe there's a downside to body cameras, but it's a different world. Everything they do is watched. There is no explaining later if you have a body camera. But that uncertainty goes on every day in an officer's mind. You know, do I pull my firearm? Do, if that's the only device you have. We've had police departments that they don't have any intermediate or less lethal weapons on them in America. So we need to give them those tools. And so, so what would you say in in the opposite direction? What what's the biggest mistake you've seen, not just when you were a chief, but just in your entire career as an officer on the street? Like, what's 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 the worst thing you've seen? Um, what's the worst situation you've seen in, where something went bad? Well, you know, I, I there's a lot of situations I think where there's a lot of Monday quarterbacking or second chances, and you know we're not on the scene. But I realize that if all you give your officers is extreme force to use, the result you're going to get is not going to be the desired outcome every time. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to get killed. And we see it. We show videos of it. You know, where that's all the officers have is extreme force. Somebody gets hurt and injured. It's a lawsuit. You pay out a fortune, but the damage it does to a community. I called you to come take care of my husband. He hasn't taken his medicine, and you came here and you shot him, and he and he's dead. You know, we hear this all the time. You know. Just because extreme force may be justified doesn't mean it's right. You know, lawful but awful is a term we use in policing. You know, we'll get away with it, and rightfully so, because that's the only tools we had. But now we have an option out there. You know, we're, we're seeing that policing has shifted, something you use sooner in a situation to restrain somebody so you can take them into custody. 
So I think, you know, when Scott and the team came and talked to me at the IECP, I said, if this thing works, you've answered a solution. You've filled a gap in policing that's been here for 20 years now. And and you've seen this across all the, all the countries it's not in just, the IECP? It's, it's everywhere. I mean, the country, uh, Brazil, Sao Paulo police stood there at our, our booth and looking at this going, are you kidding me? You know, how did you come up with this idea? And I said, uh, I didn't come up with the idea. It's a guy much smarter than me, Woody Norris, who invented something. But it's captured everybody's attention, you know. I tell the story 18 months ago, I had to go to my friends to kind of get into the market. Hey, take a look. I think there's a solution here. Now I go around telling you, this is no longer a nice-to-have item. You need to buy this for your officers because it's going to be used sooner. It's going to save you in lawsuits. Also, the what it does to police officers when they have to use force or extreme force and people get injured and the investigations go with it. We're going to save a lot of headaches. It's going to work. It's a win-win for everybody. And so, so why did you decide to become a cop? I tell you, it's something I always want to do. I can't tell if it was one out of 12, but it probably was. But I, oh, always, I remember that show. Yeah. yeah. The guy, he, he was later on Battlestar Galactica, that guy. <laughs> I think that was the same guy. Yeah. It's just something I wanted to do. And I tell you, I hit the lottery. I got hired at Miami Beach at 20 years old. Ringside seat to the greatest show on earth, a 24-hour city, and had great mentors who kept me in the bright lines to do what's right. I love policing. I love cops. And that's why I'm doing this now. This is almost, you know, being able to advocate, you know, for going forward. You know, my son-in-law is a cop down in Miami-Dade, a big city, busy city. And, uh, you know, there was an incident down there that forced me to go to electronic devices as a young chief because a guy had a shard of glass and he's, you know, mentally ill in a crisis. And he ends up getting gunned down because that was the only option cops had at the time. Hence, electronic devices came into play. But now we've moved so past that to where here's something you can use right out of the box not being compliant. It's like taking a pair of handcuffs, securing a person for their own well-being, and you don't have to use that extreme force and hurt people. It's, right, and also just taking, going up to someone who's got a shard of glass waving around you, it's not like you want to go up to them and put handcuffs you on can't, them. You can't, you can't, but think about the scenario. If all you have is a firearm and they lunge to you, you're going to use your firearm. And there's, you know, listen, there's distance and a lot of things that go into these decisions. I'm not saying the firearm's not the right tool. Well, what about a, uh, one of those nightsticks? Nightstick, you're going to be close. If they uh, you, you know, it's proximity of the person, you know, there's rules of engagement and there's a lot of training that goes into this. But anytime you can give an officer time and space and a second officer, a third officer have lethal, you know, have a lethal component to it. Somebody there covering you and you can use a lawn lethal. It's great. And a nightstick doesn't look good on camera. So back to the example of all the videos you're seen with a video on you, whether it be a, just a, somebody walking by or a police camera and see someone beating or using that nightstick in an inappropriate way, that could lead to a pretty big litigation. Like, what do they do in the UK, right, where there's no guns? Well, they, they have nightsticks. The, uh, the gift of conversation hopefully works. But when somebody's in a mental health crisis, it's a much different ballgame. You know, there's people that suffer from autism and different types of things. I mean, how do you secure them properly that's going to be acceptable? You know, this is a challenge, you know, that we have in policing is, you take a kid who's 20 years old, never been to college, you send him to academy for six months, and here's the world ills. Go deal with them. You know, every day, like you said, dynamics change like this on, on a call for service. And we can go back over the years. There's obvious choices of the tools you need at a certain time. But I'm, I'm just here to advocate for it. If you have something like the bowler app on your belt, and you can use that to secure somebody before you have to go to something with pain compliance, we win. We win. So, so I'm curious, like, uh, you know, and I want to, I want to get to that, but when you, 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 were the chief of police at, uh, Miami beach, then Doral, and then how did you make the leap to 
basically being the chief of the chiefs of the world. So in, in between, uh, after my beach, I went to a town called Golden Beach, a great community uh, on the water side just up from my beach. And I was interested in serving the ICP at another level. So I went to them and I said, I'd like to run for presidency, the fourth vice president. You know, will you support me? Because there's travel involved. And Mayor Singer and the city manager and the council were absolutely great. Don, go do it. And I mean, they launched me and traveled the country. I had to go see state associations, had to go international, get my name out there. And I won the election over another person. And then just as you went up the chairs, you started to see the responsibility that there is in policing. Everything from being able to go to the White House or talk to the attorney general about issues uh, of what is facing a policing day, asking for a, uh, they haven't had one. The council, you know, have the uh, law enforcement looked at as a whole. It hasn't been done since 1965. It just happened this past week. What, what do you mean? Look at the total policing as a whole, law enforcement, from criminal justice reform, uh, look at the jails, look at mental health, look at everything. Back in 65, the 911 call system came out of this big study. So we finally had that happen this year at the IECP conference. The president signed off on, he uh, put a commission in place for a year to look at all policing, which is good for all of us. So it gave me an opportunity to serve another level, but see policing all over America and, and internationally and listen to their problems, go to town hall meetings. And, and you know, you were the, the head of the IACP at a very critical time. And this is, Scott, when you and I started talking about it, and I know you were thinking about this, this was when um, there was really an uproar about, you know, law enforcement violence in, in both directions. But this is when, you know, on Twitter, hashtag Black Lives Matter was trending. Um, there was also a huge case where a lot of these incidents were with, as you mentioned, mentally ill people. What are the actual statistics? Like what, what was, what was happening? What was, what were the numbers on this problem? And this was while you were basically in charge of it. And you know, about a thousand people die at the hands of law enforcement every year. A large part of those are people, some type of crisis or mental health. That's the reality of it. Uh, and also in a place like New York City, I think it's once every four minutes, there's a mental health call itself. The calls are coming in in bigger droves because police are seen as the answer to it. Now, I mean, I don't believe there's as many facilities or other options out there. So police have come had to come up with crisis intervention team training and put it out there. I mean, we had people sign up. This is a training. This is how you become uh, recognized as an agency, go through these steps to do this. But it also changed, you know, the flashpoint of Ferguson however you may want to see that, it kind of called law enforcement to the carpet of what are we doing right? Where do we need to look in, internally? Police legitimacy, procedural justice, all these big words came out, but it was a good time for us to take a step back and look at how we operate. Well, what, can you explain from, from your view what happened at Ferguson? Well, Ferguson was the incident where a young man uh, lost his life and uh, none of us were there, like I said, but it became the topic, the conversation, and then there was writing and there were conversations and uh, nobody's to judge it, but you know, the chief that followed there ended up being a friend of mine. He came from uh, South Florida, Delrish Moss, who took over the job. And you know, he confided in me, he goes, policing needs to change. There's a lot to be done. And uh, we're at it at this point now. And what did, what did you think or what did he think could be a solution? Well, I think there's many solutions, you know, just because you've done it a certain way for such a long time doesn't mean it's right anymore. You know, there are standards in policing. They're not universal. Unfortunately, there's 50 states that operate different from each other, but professional policing is needed across the board. And uh, how we train our officers is important. The tools that we give our officers going forward is even more important. 
but you know, not just anybody could be a police officer. You know, it's just because you pass the academy doesn't mean you're going to be a good cop. Uh, ongoing training, ongoing accountability uh, is important, and I think it's changed. I mean, police now are more accountable, I think, than they've ever been in my whole in my whole uh, career. And and Scott it was around this time, 2016. I'd like to say we were in conversation, but really it was like you were thinking out loud and I was listening. And uh, you were talking about all of these same problems and you had an opportunity where you were friendly with a few police departments and you were looking for, uh, is there a business opportunity here? And I remember talking to you about uh, body cameras that could stabilize, but you felt this was kind of a commodity product. In fact, Taser sort of moved into that business because the Tasers were you know, starting to get a bad name. I don't want to say anything bad about Taser, but they, they were moving their business model a bit. Um, so you didn't want to compete with that. And then you talked to, I remember back in 2004, we were all invested in a company, LRAD, L-R-A-D, which was like a sonic gun used in the Iraq war. And you talked to the inventor of that and he said, oh, well, you can't make a... a uh, a, a local version of that it had to be like a thousand feet to shoot somebody 20 feet wouldn't work because the sound would be too great. Uh, and you say, well, what else do you have in mind? And he just, in, did he just invent on the fly the device we're about to talk about? <laughs> so let's go back to that. Cause uh, it's, it's important to remember. So yeah, we, I think the company at the time was American technologies, which became LRAD and they had just launched that sonic gun, um, for the military that we got that opening order in Iraq and as that business started to build up and they started to get manufacturing in, in line and, and started to scale, there was a, a, we were watching Taser and you and I had lots of conversations about Taser and Taser's stock really went from a, you know, went on a hyperbolic spike. It was controversial, similar to um, just law enforcement in general started to get controversial. Um, was it a lawful shot or were they right, using the right uh, use of force? But this Taser was really the first new device to come on law enforcement's belts in decades, right? So, so Were police officers resistant to the taser at first because of the extra real estate on I the can, belt? I, I can honestly tell you, I, I was a, a young chief at 2001, and I didn't go to it right away. But as more episodes would come up, we started searching for answers. And at the time, the electronic, the, uh, uh, electronic weapon was the only one out there. So we went to that. So I could see, of course, a gun, if it enters my heart or brain or whatever is going to kill me. But I'm not that excited about getting shot with 50,000 volts of electricity either. Like uh, well, that, a gun, you could shoot someone in the leg and they're not going to get hurt. I mean, they're going to get hurt, but they're not going to die probably. Well, we're not trained to shoot at the leg. And, mm -hmm. you know, with American policing, you know, we, we shoot to stop you. Mm -hmm. James, when we were, when we had um, the sonic weapon, there was talk to go to a handheld. And mainly because we were watching what Taser was doing and we felt that was clearly a good fit and it was resonating with police. It was just really starting to catch on. I think it was 03, 04. And the stock started really to make a move where it had that five to 105 with lots of volume and just interest. And that's started thinking. And I remember having the conversation with you and Woody, let's go ahead and launch the handheld. We all went our own way. A decade later, starting to see the issues come back up and um, more and more video, more and more controversy. Ferguson happened, 
And I'll repeat, you were sending me a, a horrific video every single day. <laughs> and <laughs> I we, would wait for the video. And you were in the huddle. We were having conversations about what to do with this. And you're right. We were talking about videos, um, different different types of capture systems. We're talking about going back to the Sonic Gun. And that's when I called Woody after a decade and said, hey, Woody, can we bring back the Sonic Gun? And to his credit, we, 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 we batted it back and forth on the phone that day. And it wasn't within, it was probably within 48 hours. He called back and he said, look, Sonic Gun's not going to work. For these and this reasons, it's too lethal. You could get, to, I think you're um, exposed to liability on that. And it's going to be hard to carry that type of electronics on your belt. But what if we could wrap somebody? And it was just, he walked me through it. And at that moment, if we're going to do this, we'll be 50-50. We'll file the patents together. We'll build up to a prototype. And you, you and I were talking right at that point. Hey, James, what do you think about this? And I remember it resonated so well with you. Yeah. Um, we thought we'd have a product in a couple months and it turned out to be a couple years, but the idea was there. I, I, I'll tell you when we were talking, it was like June, 2016. Was it June, 2016? Wow. Yeah, or maybe May, 2016. And we were probably in front of Donnie. So given the connection we had, with, early 17. Uh, yeah, we were early 17. So it wasn't far after that that we were uh, in Washington meeting Don, who was president of the ICP. Yeah, and you had, had that first version pretty quickly, like six months. Yeah, yeah. it was a very raw early version. Because I remember but, when you went to meet Philadelphia, yes, I think. I just got to, the prototypes. Yeah, I just got the prototypes. You went to ICP meeting. No, and, you, was, and you called me from there and you were like, we met... The, the the chief of the IACP, Don DeLuca, he he loved it. This is going to be great. All the chiefs are swarming around yeah, our booth. We were very optimistic <laughs> and hopeful. And um, the more and more people that we showed, your friends and other influencers in law enforcement, the more buy-in we would see. We'd see it in their eyes. They knew they needed something. They like, knew that, that what they had wasn't enough. And that idea, even though it wasn't perfected at the time, far from perfected, but the idea made sense to them. And we just had to capitalize ourselves in a way where we could make the product better, build manufacturing, build a team really to execute. Don I think him. I think this is such an important lesson, first off, about entrepreneurship. There's a lot of people who say, I want to be an entrepreneur and what's, you know, what's hot right now? Oh, I'm going to make uh, a new app that Google will buy and some stupid dating app or whatever. But here's a case where, you know, Scott, you've been an investor and entrepreneur for a long time. Don, you've been in the police for like 30 plus years now or so you know you scott you had um connections with you know you you under first off we all were talking about the problem that the entire nation was talking about which was a hashtag black black lives matter and b the number of mentally ill people that were you know swept up into this as well all the problems that were happening you know in every single city with you know, you know, law enforcement was at this edge. Like, like Don, like you said, there was rioting happening. There was, there was anger in the population. And, you know, so you started with a problem that was global, not just like, oh, what's the latest dating app we could do. And then, and then you had this global problem. You worked out, you, you started considering solution after solution. You had departments that you had built relationships with over the years or decades. You called an inventor that you had a relationship with for a decade and a half or more and just started batting around solutions, came up with the first prototype. Is it the final prototype? No, it's, I've seen it's 20 generations earlier than the, than the current uh, version. And, but still you take that, you showed Don who got excited, who started getting other, you know, Don, you joined the company, right? When did yeah. you join? Uh, in November, company? 2017. You joined Bolo Rap and, and, wow. So you went from IACP to rap. 
And I retired from law enforcement March of 18, and it's been a ride since April of 2018. I'm their chief strategy officer, by the way. So, so yeah, so because we, you need a police police expert to say, yeah, this could fit on the belt. This is how training works. This is how, these are the use cases. But, you know, it's interesting that people don't, people underestimate relationships. They underestimate, um, they underestimate the morality of entrepreneurship. And I'm not trying to be like, you know, Adam Smith with the invisible hand of capitalism, but you know, if you're solving a major societal issue, it's not like you're greedily trying to make money, although money is certainly an important side effect, but money is going to happen. If you're, you know, the, these, these, these rap guns, these, 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 you know, restraint weapons, they're not free to make. So it is a, a business structure that, that incentivizes everybody from law enforcement to the entrepreneurs, to the inventors, to, to get these things off the ground. But that's how things happen. It's not like, oh, I'm going to move to Silicon Valley and learn, you know, some coding language and, and, you know, make something that three people will like, and then get, get bought by Google. I mean, right now, I don't know if you can say, but also oh, first off, describe, describe ultimate. I, so I just got shot by this gun, this weapon. I, right before the podcast, uh, chief Don DeLuca, uh, thankfully one of the, uh, clearest shots <laughs> in the world probably, but actually even not necessarily, uh, you shot me. I wrapped you. You wrapped me. <laughs> I like to say I was shot though. Cause it sounds cooler. It's probably the only time I get to ever say I I've been shot. Uh, that's what I should have yelled out at the end of the video, but you, you, I was just about eight to 10 feet from you. You, um, aimed this laser at me. And then the next thing I knew there was a, a, a bullet like sound. And then the next thing I knew, um, I didn't see it, but I was completely wrapped. I couldn't, I tried to struggle. I tried to move my hands up and down. I tried to move. I was completely wrapped by this Kev thin Kevlar steel cable that had hooks into my clothes. Worst case is you ruined my jacket, but that's okay. Rap will pay me back for that. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so we'll describe the, what the weapon is. So it's a, it's a device that discharges an eight-foot Kevlar cord, 360-pound th test, with two tethers on the end with li little, like, number 10 fish hooks. It, it leaves the device at over 500 feet a second. So from the time you hear the bang, it's on you. There's a line laser that's on there. So wherever I put that line laser is exactly where that tether is going to go. And the big thing for us is the sound. It's a distraction. I don't care what anybody says. The line laser itself has had people out in the field give up right then because they don't know what's coming next. They've never seen the device. Wow. It's a it's a device you would hold in a non-threatening manner, very low, not like a firearm. It's very, you know, it's very unassuming. What happens next is what distracts the person. And that's what we're looking for because usually somebody's in a crisis or they're not being compliant. And we don't want to use pain to take them into custody. So you saw from... The moment that bang is, next thing you, you feel, you're secure. And then within a moment or two, the officers are going to be around you, pulling your hands behind you, securing you, maybe bringing you to the ground, uh, taking you into custody, getting you to a mental health facility without injury. Let's say I was um, uh, moving or even running, so it's hard for you to accurately put the laser on me. Well, it, not really. I mean, training is, is a benchmark to everything, how professional artists commensurate to the training. So the end users get ample training in the device. If you're walking away, I can wrap you around the knees. If I wrap you once and I need to wrap you a second time, two seconds later, I put a wrap around your legs. You can use this device more than one time on somebody if you need to secure them. Especially most calls today, there's multiple officers that show up. 
uh, just recently in California. And a uh, police department had a mental health call where a guy is stabbing himself. This happens everywhere in America. A person in a mental health crisis is hurting themselves, injuring somebody else. In the middle of doing this, the officer shows up, takes out the wrap device, discharges it, secures the person, they drop the knife, and they take him into custody. A couple weeks prior, it was used as a part of one of several tools to secure somebody who stabbed somebody and was stabbing themselves. So, so, so this this idea of uh, uh, it's police suicides, meaning suicide so, by cop, suicide by cop. So somebody who's wants to commit suicide but doesn't want to do it himself wants the police to do it. Will start acting up, doing something that forces police to take action. And like we said earlier, if you're within a 21 foot radius and the police uh, gives you an order that that you're that you disobey, the police previously ha has had no other option other than to use some sort of force. Like you either have to restrain them physically or taser them, shoot them. I don't know what else. Hit so them. There's so many things that take place in the suicide by cop. But if you have multiple officers there, you know, obviously you're going to have lethal cover in case the person has a firearm or they start charging you. But the bullet wrap could be used at early on. That's the bottom line. And if you can distract the person enough and secure them, it's a win-win. So it's a tool, and I think this is what's instrumental for law enforcement, and the leaders get it. The leaders in policing have come a long way in the last 20 years. Policing is a profession here in, in the United States, I tell you. They, they see the value in this. And, and I believe, you know, where we sit today, and, and I believe that, you know, where we're covered and where we're going is a phenomenal story. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. The problem that keeps so many businesses from knowing their numbers is this hodgepodge mess of business systems. One system for accounting, another for sales, another for inventory, and so on. It's just a big inefficient mess that takes too much time, too many resources, and all that time hurts the bottom line, plus having all these additional software packages. So introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software, it handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, dashboard, whatever you want to call it, gives you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly, right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash james. That's netsuite.com slash James to download your free guide. And who doesn't want a book about this? Seven key strategies to grow your profits. Netsuite.com slash James. Whenever I have a business, some of my workers are hourly, some are full-time, some are part-time, some are contractors, some are full-time employees. It's hard to keep track of all this and know that you're actually making money per employee. This is especially true for HR, human resources professionals working hard to attract and retain all of the best talent. That's why Kronos puts HR, payroll, talent, and timekeeping on a single cloud-based platform. It's one especially designed to give HR professionals supporting a blended workforce a whole new level of confidence. With Kronos, they have everything you need to tackle nearly any HR challenge and are empowered to not just find and hire the right people, but to engage, motivate, and reward them every step of the way. So learn more about Kronos HR solutions for the modern workforce and the people who support them at Kronos.com slash HR swagger. That's Kronos.com slash HR swagger. 
Kronos, workforce innovation that works. Like, like what would have happened to that guy who was stabbing himself that you um, used this bowler wrap weapon and you restrained him, like the, the, the steel cable wrapped around him. Uh, and then Kevlar cord. To, it's a Kevlar cord, a Kevlar cord. And, and you, you then, you know, rush him and put the handcuffs on, you know, to extra secure him. What would have happened if in that situation, if you didn't have the wrap gun? Well, then you'd have to, uh, use pain compliance, extreme pain compliance. Let's say the beanbag rounds, the 40 caliber beanbag rounds, uh, a baton, or you'd have to, you know, if they started making an action that you considered threatening to yourself, you'd use deadly force. Yeah. And so, so right now I know it's early, right? When have you, when have you officially, I don't even know if you have, have you officially released the, the, the bowler wrap weapon? Oh yeah. It's, it's for purchase. Departments are buying. I tell you, buddy, you know, this two weeks ago, we were at the ICP conference and, uh, I, I still smirk when I think about it, seeing grown law enforcement officers standing there looking at our booth, watching these videos of what's going on out on the field, when the device could be used. And the questions that followed, I mean, and officers have been on the job 30, 40 years saying, hey, I got to have this. You know, we're in the market. It's a reality. This is not going away. This is going to take off. And I don't say that for any other reason. It's I believe that we need to give officers the best tools. It's, uh, it's, it's a responsibility of law enforcement leaders to protect lives, you know, for their officers, but also for the community we serve. Uh, when we went to uh, Ferguson, there was a retired lieutenant from St. Louis Police Department, part of the Urban League there, grabbed me and he said, you know what? This is the first humane restraint I've seen in my whole career. Hmm. And I go, you know, you're absolutely right. What is wrong? There's, there's not a downside to using this, not a downside to it at all. And, and when you, um, you have all these relationships with the 165 countries you were involved with when you were head of the IACP, what, what issues... What are the issues they seem to have? Uh, I mean, do they have issues other than, they have oh, issues different than our issues? You know, policing has many challenges, recruitment, retention, salaries, uh, what training, what tools they can use, uh, perception, social media, you know, uh, cyber, crypto, uh, cyber, cyber crimes, cryptocurrency, you name it, there's a plethora. But now you talk about suicide by cop, you know, here in, in the United States, more people, officers have taken their lives than, uh, killed in the line of duty. It's, it's unheard of. The job is tough and we got to make it better for officers. One of the, one of the few things we could do is give them the better tools. And this is something they could use. James, I was going to just remind you of the evolution of this because you were at the table when we just started. So remember we were using, in the beginning we were using yeah. glue, magnets, a starter <laughs> pistol, CO2. We were trying everything. We thought right. it was going to be a million dollars to get a product into the market. I'm it glad you didn't be... come to me with those ideas. But um, going from IACP last week, where our booth was 30 by 30, and we, could, we were having probably 15 to 20 conversations with different departments going on at any one given time, from three years ago, which was our first IACP, where there, were, there was a five by five and couldn't fit more than one and a half people in that booth, and everybody was just kind of working the floor and no one knew us to today. Almost everyone knew who we were, had heard, seen the video in one way, shape or form. So that's coming a long way. That what we thought was a million dollar budget to get to market became five, then became 10. And today I think about $30 million of paid in capital, most of that all within the last 12 months. So um, yeah, with the evolution of this, 
took a lot more capital than we ever thought. And the form of this has, it's taken many different forms um, and will probably continue to evolve, will continue to evolve over the next couple of years. But we definitely found a spot which back to the kitchen room table, um, we knew we had some, an idea and to take it to market and to see the response we had last week with just engaging with countries and um, federal agencies and domestic, inter- uh, domestic um, departments um, in every state just felt awesome. And, so so and- let, let me ask you about that evolution though. Like, you know, you tried, and, and I remember this when you were going through all the different iterations, but what would each, and this is again, an important lesson about entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is a lot about experimenting. It's not like we figured it all out. Here you are, chiefs of police, buy it from us. Like you didn't know. So like, what was, what was an example of, oh, this might be a good product, but it didn't work out. I would say, in the, in the you're talking about with the evolution of a bull wrap. Yeah, I would say that probably the the form I th- we were originally trying to go with CO2. Um, it was just a lot easier, a lot cheaper, and we just couldn't get it to wrap. What does it mean, like CO2 uh, to, as the as the gunpowder, basically? Yeah, we were in lieu of gunpowder. Yeah, the that launches. was that was the, the drive factor. So, so similar to like a BB gun mm-hmm. to to build the pressure yeah. and shoot. So a lot simpler. Um, it would have been a lot easier. Wouldn't be considered classified as a firearm. And um, we could probably be in the market much faster. The only issue is it just wasn't getting enough force, enough power to um, have the, the, the Kevlar wrap. Mm. And then of course we played with um, what would be on the end of the, uh, of the Kevlar to, to secure it. And we needed some kind of hook. Um, so we went to all different types of hooks. Yeah, three hooks um, to four. Yeah, and before that was like the magnets and the glue. So lots of experimenting, a lot of capital, bringing smarter and smarter people to help us solve that problem. Um, and in the end, it's about capital and people. You have to have the right people. They have to believe. They have to be aligned. Um, we, Woody, um, I had a, just a, a wonderful relationship with him going back 15 years. And uh, to bring um, Donnie and Mike and all the others to the table, and, and um, there was a, a sense of trust, a, a real desire to win. And so, again, it's not like... It, it's so different, I think, from what the classic mythology of of being an entrepreneur is. Like the you mentioned, the people. It's so important. They had you, who's put together so many companies. Uh, Don, thirty years of police experience. You bring him on board after he run is running the whole international, you know, chiefs of police. You brought on, um, you know, Woody, who invented this critical gun used uh, by the U.S. in a war. Tom Smith from Taser, right? He was the, wasn't he the founder of Taser? Yeah, co-founder of Taser co-founder with his Taser. brother. You know, I can also, you know, what's important is, you know, my counterpart is our CO, Mike Rothens, was the assistant sheriff, LA County Sheriff's Department, 18,000 officers. I mean, his scope and understanding of force and use of force can't be touched. But what Mike did next, I think is instrumental. Our foundation behind us is, is real. He went out and found the best trainers in law enforcement. Hmm. Some are firearms, some are tactical people and said, I, went, I want this person. And he went to Lee Leatherman, and I tell the story all the time. I sat there, Lee, it's, this is what we're looking to do, but we want the best. And from there, I mean, we have a cadre of master trainers now that are, and I've been in policing, I've never seen anything like this team, that go out and, and train other trainers. And now we have, I think it's over 500 you know, uh, trainers for departments out there. How this has unfolded in 18 months blows me away, but it was very strategic. It's not that we put this in the hands of anybody, 
you know, we take great pride in, in and I take great, great pride in seeing who's in this. Uh, Rick Gilbo was the former head of all training for Taser, jumped on board because he saw this fills a space and answers a question that's been asking, how can we do our job better? And he's put together master trainers and senior master trainers. So it's cops who really care about the profession and this, the foundation is built right is what we've seen here. And this is, and it's only going to get better. And, and the importance of training is that, uh, or trainers, is that when you hand this over to a police department, it seems like they have, you know, assuming they they buy into the need for it, they buy into the sale, they see it being used in other departments, they see that it works. They now have two big issues from what I've seen, because I've also talked to police departments and did, you know, my own research. A, a lot of times the real estate on the belt is full. They have to figure out what to take off the belt. Like you said, when you first started, there was just handcuffs, a baton and a gun, and then later a taser. But now I don't know what else they have, but they have like a, they have bean bags. They have this, they have this, they have this pepper spray. That's, that's an important question. And I, and I put it out there all the time. Executives need to make a decision. What is on your belt that you no longer use? I went to a perf conference back in February with David Norris, our uh, CEO. And the discussion was there is we no longer use gas, you know, the overspray people contamination, the optics of nightsticks. It's on our belt, but we don't use it unless we need to break a window. So there could be space on the belt if you so desire. But officers now wear outer vests. You can put the clip on. You can stick it in a pocket. The device is small enough. You can almost carry it anywhere on you. But chiefs need to make decisions what they need to have and what's nice to have. And I think there's things that are nice to have on your belt that could be removed. But it's not just chiefs that are making those decisions. It's also coming at the highest level in the cities. Um, there is pressure to find a tool that's um, less lethal. So um, there's so pressure politically, obviously, there's but also financially. Liability-wise, is oh. huge. We talked to multiple AGs and um, from some 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 states that um, are having encountering huge use of force issues with ma large payouts, tens of millions of dollars a year, up to hundreds of millions of dollars a year, mm. and. They need to lower their risk profile. They need to. They they can't go on with this type of litigation uh, trail. It's 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 becoming way too cumbersome. So they have to find another solution. One of the AGs told me it's a it's a it's a liability litigation tool. It's a, it's a it's a liability reduction tool. This reduces liability from the cities from the state. Um, and he's and a big. But you going back to one of the questions you asked. What was our biggest mistake? I think we underestimated that the value of training early. Um, we Cause how long does a police department take to, once they have a new device for the belt, how long does it take them to train cops to use, use it? So we train their trainers internally. They get trainers. It's about a five hour course, but the end user could be one to two hours of training, which isn't a, a whole lot of time because it's a simple device to use. It's a policy that goes with it. Mm. That is very strong to be re-entered hammered in. This is when you use the tool and this is the right way to use it. So it's only a couple hours. It's not a complicated device because it's gonna use it sooner. Some agencies might even not even consider it a use of force. So we give sample policies out and, and basically say, this is how you do it. It's easy when you have a law enforcement team going into law enforcement and we understand the profession and what the gaps are and how it should be done. So the train the trainer, how we've rolled it out has been incredibly receptive. They've become our best salesperson because they cement it you know, these are, you know, end users who understand the value of explaining uh, how this is going to fit. And James, one city, one major city that we're working with, we're, we're in several major cities, but one of them, they haven't introduced a new tool on the belt for 30 years since Taser. So it's not like there's all these options popping up. I mean, there's, 
different inventions and people have got different ideas, but nothing has for the several major cities, the feedback we're hearing is there hasn't been anything substantial or anything that's got a shot that go on the belt on every line officer in 30 years since Taser. So there you have it. I mean, that's a... Another, another audience, Scott, that we were talking about this earlier and it slipped my mind is the insurance carriers for cities, you know, are advocating for this, are coming to our demos and, and asking the questions, mm-hmm. you know, why can they purchase this for their departments instead of using, you know, paying compliance devices? Because they pay out on one lawsuit, they could have bought a hundred devices, hmm. you know, and, and use something simpler much sooner. Yeah. So insurance companies are saying are putting pressure the way, the way insurance companies will put pressure on doctors to use a certain medicine. Well, they're given the consideration, you know, because they're the ones who write the checks hmm. in the end. I mean, there's lawsuits and you can pay out 900,000, you pay out a million dollars because somebody was injured. You know, they face planted when they, when they had an electronic device hit them or they were hit with a, a nightstick and you split a, a head open because that's the only tool you had. Now, if you could use something sooner, and you're going to save money all the way around. But also, you know, the officers go under investigation when they use their force and control well, and things it, that, you know, would be unnecessary if we gave them something else to use. So force a, is always going to be part of the job. Yeah, That's not going to go away. In a litigation right now, we've spoke to several cases. If you, let's say there's a taser incident or another use of force incident, um, in the plaintiff, they're asking, um, the legal, the, the lawyers are asking, what are the tools did you use? Um, why didn't you consider this tool, a lower use of force? It's a standard question in a, in, in a case now. So if you don't show that you went to an alternative and you started at a high use of force, but you could have used a lower use of force, it's a standard question now in litigation. And you don't use it, guess what? You're going to end up settling that case. So, so, but that's interesting. That could be a, a negative as well, right? Because if you have an alternative like the bolo wrap gun, uh, uh, that's oh, prosecution's always going to ask, why didn't you use it? And you might be liable if you say if the, if the officer or the the city might be liable if they say we we didn't because of these reasons. But the prosecutor's going to keep hitting. Why didn't you use the lower alternative? Could this be a problem in in litigation? Well, I would tell you the officers always got to be able to articulate the force they use, mm-hmm. and that's in training. So if they pull out something higher, they're going to have an explanation for it. Especially if they carry it, they're going to say, listen. I can't use something at this low level. I need to use, you know, impact. I have to use something, you know, that's going to get their attention. They might go with a stronger force. But I think Scott's point is, you know, when something less could have been used and you don't even carry it, that's going to be the issue. Well, why don't you have other options then? They got to pull out their firearm. You don't have nothing before this. And particularly since this now exists as an option, they can always point to... Go go back to the glass example with a piece of glass. For you to use a gun, if you use a gun and shoot that person, you're going to end up... Um, with a big settlement, um, the, the plaintiff's going to end up with a big settlement. Mm. So um, if you use taser in that incident, do you need taser? You could have, perhaps you could have bowl, you could have wrapped his legs. So again- yeah, a taser, I imagine if he's holding like a shard of glass, you taser him and then he falls on the glass. Good. Well, it all depends. There's a, so many moving parts. You remember we talked about, you know, that moment where the guy takes off running. There's a lot going through your mind. So if somebody has a shard of glass and they're 25 feet away, you can wrap them. That's a safe distance. Now, if they're within 10 feet and they can charge you, you probably might have your firearm out. So there's a lot of yeah. moving parts in these scenarios. But it's, it is something police that police officers it switch is, guns it, like in, or weapons. Yeah, and usually more than one officer shows up. But, you know, it's hard to ever put yourself in the place where the officer stands at that moment, that lonely moment where they're going to make that decision. But if you give them options, it's incumbent upon us to do that. You know, we have to provide options. There is no one silver bullet anymore. But it might be a good 
a lawyer is certainly going to bring it up on the on no. in case and try to poke holes and 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 try to angle. And listen, there's experts out there that are going to tell you, you know, this side of the story. And we've reached out to experts and have them look at these tools. And this this is a viable tool. It's going to save lives, and there's no doubt about it. There's not a, it's not the answer for everything, but it is an answer for every officer to carry this thing. I think there's enough justification. And and why do you think? Um, I mean, I was surprised when I saw the announcement that. Uh, uh, Tom Smith, the co-founder of Taser, was moving over to rap, and he's the president of rap now, right? Yeah. He is. So, why do you think he did that? Like, what did he? Or can you say what he said to you? Um, I think he he looks at, at what's happening here as early days at Taser, mm -hmm. um, but with a couple differences. One, they had a lot of uh, heavy lifting to do. They created this category of less. Well, at the time, it was non-lethal, and they moved to less than lethal. It's hard to talk about um, sending an electrical weapon and deploying that. A um, lot of education, uh, huge comfort. It took, it took decades for that to really just get to the point where they are today. Um, so a lot of the heavy lifting done um, now as a result of social media, as a result of all these videos where the juries are deciding or the, the, the communities are deciding if that was a proper use of force, um, there's now a cry for something else. Um, but, so, so, so it's the, the public speaking to us. And, and, and it reminds me again of both of you, right? You both have had distinguished careers. Scott, I know you could have retired long ago on many, many companies that you started. Don, you were chief of, you, you hit the pinnacle of what a policeman does. And then you went further than that. You became the chief of the international association of the chiefs of police. And Tom Smith, obviously, he could have retired on Taser. It just shows again that it's not about, of course, entrepreneurship is about making money, but this is, I mean, how big of a problem is this? You, a thousand, not only do a thousand people a year die through some, you know, whatever uh, mishap in, in law enforcement, but around the world, there's there's issues. And, and then you see store security, campus security. You know, campus security always really bothers me because you never hear numbers about what happens in a campus. Like, they kind of keep it secret. Private universities, you, you won't know. But this is a global issue. It's just not us in the United States with 18,000 police department and almost a million cops. This is all around the world they face this challenge. How many, how many police departments are around the world? I have no idea. I have no idea. And then you but go in there. Take, uh, take a department um, like Indonesia. They have 380,000 officers. You know, some of these national police, the this, this state of Sao Paulo has 90,000 officers. Yeah, a million. I mean, it's amazing. A million sworn in the U.S. and 20 million um, overseas. Okay, so, so so tell me, what's the, co what's the cost of the RAP gun? We're um, we're working on about fifty percent margin. So the device is uh, at that nine twenty with the laser. Nine twenty five. And how many um, wraps does it fit in it? One at the moment. So wait. So what if I have to fire twice? You got to reload. How long does it take to reload? Two three seconds. That's it. That's it. So you're trained to like take it out of your pocket, fire it, instantly reload. You can drop the cartridge, stick another one in, just like that. And you have the cartridges on your on your vest. You have it on your vest or on a pouch that you could drop it in. And it's easy to reload, just click Very it in. Very easy. It's, there's no secret to it. Either side works, you slide it in. How many um, cartridges per gun do people usually have? Like, let's say someone orders a gun, how many cartridges do they order? We recommend that a person carries two, 
And for each device, you know, you have to do training. I think it's eight to 10, but I'll let our training people, I think that's what they recommend. Yeah. Each device you purchase eight to 10 and every year you requalify with it. And you don't have to buy a new gun. You just, it's like a razor. You buy the new, new cartridges. So, and, and how much does a cartridge go for? 30, $30. So, and the idea is of course, is that this is minimal compared to all the societal benefits, financial benefits to the cities and so on. So, and, and, and again, it's just, you know, like, why did you see this? Obviously you saw this as, as a great opportunity for you career wise, Don, but, uh, did, did you really say like, maybe you and your wife were thinking of retiring and, you know, moving to the keys in Florida, doing some fishing. <laughs> I don't know if you fish. No, no, but. but I think, you know, I saw an answer, you know, I saw an answer to a problem. So when they came, when I first learned this, I was still on the job. And I was excited about it because we need to evolve as a profession all the time. And somebody thought of the most creative thing I could, I, like I always said, how did Woody Norris think of this? How did he make this happen? But it took the patience of a Mike Rothens going out there, listening to police departments, making adjustments and tweaking it, uh, putting a fourth hook on it, you know, making the Kevlar cord 380 pound test. I mean, all these things came, came into play and then it happened. And, you know, I'm telling you, seeing the expression on people's faces tells me that it's a winner because it's going to be something that cops could be happy to use. You know, when you pull out a nightstick, it's ugly. And when you use it, that's extreme force. People get hurt. Not that it's not justified, but the optics of what we do in policing is ugly. So we give them a solution to solve a problem sooner. It's a win-win for everybody involved. It's going to be ugly some days. There are going to be fistfights, knockdown, drag It's going to happen. But that's not always the scenario. Have, um, and you mentioned earlier, you had, you've had police officers already, even though it's in the early stages, you've had police officers already come up to you and say, you know, oh my God, this, this just happened. And we used, we could, yeah, they used it or they put the line laser on them. So we're having success stories starting to come in. The more that it's out there in the market, we're going to hear more stories. But I think what the best part is I've heard chiefs and superintendents say, you know, I'm going to go back and look at what we did in 2018 and look at our use of force and when could we've used a device like this. That's the right way to look at this. You know, the history speaks for itself. You, you can change, you can't change the facts, but if you say, hey, in this scenario, this scenario, this scenario, it proves that there's a tool out there that, that we need to have. Is there anything else? Like, could the, could the beanbag gun be made safer or what, it, uh, what other? That's like, pain compliance. So, you know, there's always going to be a need for pain compliance. Which means using pain to- Using pain to subdue somebody or secure somebody but there's been a need for a non-lethal response to people in crisis or people you need to secure or you know they're gonna take off running from you. You know, to, to tase a 14-year-old kid is not the answer. You know, hit somebody with a beanbag is not always the answer. If you have something else, it would be applicable at that time. And the bowler wraps that tool. And, and Scott, I've seen you company after company, you've always tried to solve big, problems, but this is the one, you know, and this is why we're here. This is the one you always call me with that. You're it's, you can't believe you tell me the latest story. You can't believe what this person did or this person said. And then I know all the other companies are involved and this is the one you're most active with. Are you, uh, do you feel this is on schedule? Are you happy? Yeah. I mean, bringing Tom in was a game changer. I mean, Tom's bringing back the band, so to speak. He's, he's gone to his dis distribution network, uh, the distributor network that used, um, he's got running into old, old 
um, taser people um, every which way he he he. They he, seek him out. They seek him out, and he knows where to go. So um, watching him has been um, a lot of fun, and 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 it gives me more and more confidence. Um, yeah, it's taken a little. It's taken longer, but as I get to know law enforcement. Um, I and, laugh when he says it's taking long. I can't believe how fast it's happened. Yeah, it's a conversation in the living room. The, the entrepreneur and the cop here, you know, we have two different views. As Right. <laughs> so, so as I'm a little bit more grounded and understand the, the sales cycle and understand the budgets and the training and, and, and what it takes to put that all in place, I am really proud of where we are. Yeah, so we have a solid foundation. I think that's the best part about it. And that. it's really nice to see as we, it took way more capital than I thought, and it probably will take more capital over time. But it's nice to see how we're thinking about complementary products and th um, complementary training and partnerships that um, that that I think could could create more of a um, a, a a uniformed um, holistic approach where we can be solving training and and uh, training issues at the same time as we're launching this this device. Um, do you see the need for other products coming out there similar? I think I think there's definitely how we could build upon the current product. Rep technology can build different iterations. There's, I think this product, the way it is now, is perfect. But I think there's other things that are in the works and they're going to keep evolving that's going to make us more robust with answers. Can, can you say what? No. <laughs> uh -huh. um, but it is relationships at the end of the day, staying current, staying on the on the training, Having those uh, those those high level and and line officer relationships and government relationships uh, with politicians, it's a it's a, an you, advocate relationship. But, but you like really worked to build those. Like again, I I mean, just just to put this in context, this was when I was living from Airbnb to Airbnb to Airbnb. But for a while, you had an extra bedroom in your place. I stayed in in your place. So I I this is the first time I've ever seen such a huge uh, operation start from literally the the initial conversations pre-idea. You were just, you know, you were talking to me late into the night about idea after idea after idea. You would bring in police officers. You would bring in, you know, government officials. You, you would talk to, you would bring in inventors. You would talk to everybody. And then you were flying all around. You still fly all around. I I say no to flying around. If someone says, Scott, can you fly to um, the middle of Iowa tomorrow? He's there. Just like get on a plane and go there. I would in a hundred years never go there. And I don't know why you do it, but but look, this is an important thing. So, um, you know, Bowler Wrap Technologies is, uh, Wrap Technologies, rather the Guns Bowler Wrap and WRTC is a public symbol. Um, where do you see this in 10 years? If you, uh, I see this in 10 years, that is just, I see them in the next few years. This is part of policing. This is one of the tools. I'm excited about the future where the company is going to think of next with the minds of a Woody Norris and uh, the team we have with the Mike Rothens and Rick Gilbo, the professional trainers and leaders in policing that are re respected. Uh, I think I think we're going to be the brand that everybody follows. I see us also um, extending into different markets. I see, I see us in military um, around the world, um, perhaps drones, um, security, schools, um, maybe even possibly at the home. So this could take many different versions. Um, it's this platform and team and capital base that we've got now that uh, is really scalable, and that's. But and that's I'm going to take a I'm going to take a little credit for one of the things you just said. Not credit for any product oh, development or anything. The, 
I didn't I have the idea for drones a couple of years ago because you can have uh, you 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 already see the potential target. Let's say a terrorist about to blow up a, a shopping market or whatever. Obviously, you would do anything to take this terrorist down. But a gun might be dangerous because you might ignite whatever he's carrying. Whereas you know a drone swooping in at you know high speeds and then the 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 rap would uh, incapacitate him without, you know, hurting anybody around him. Well, I remember one of the first things you were pitching thought we should focus on was the wall. Which one? On oh, border, yeah, yeah. Border. And, um, yeah, we without having to build some... a wall, you could do, you, you could help the border police by basically using drones to, you know, again, there is illegal immigration and you could use drones to uh, keep an eye on and then wrap until police arrive. Well, we're getting a lot of interest from we, border. We have a lot of interest from the federal police, and I'll just leave it at that. You know, uh, we're on high speed right now with the interest that's coming to us, and it's a matter of us working with our distributors, getting out and showing this device to as many people as can. The requests are there. Like I told Scott at first, I had to ask the favor, can we show you something? Now they're knocking on our doors, but the federal agencies have a great interest in this. What what keeps you awake at night? Uh, honestly, I can't wait to go to work the next day. This is so exciting for me, and... Uh, I've never wanted to live on a plane, but I can't wait to get to the demo tomorrow. And that's how I feel because I know the, what the response is going to be. I, I know that we're going to save lives. You know, it's, I, I sleep well, you know, uh, but I know this is going to save lives. That's the bottom line. And, and Scott, what keeps you awake? Yeah. Well, I, I don't sleep well, so that, that, <laughs> that that doesn't it, but you're going to help me with that. Yeah, right? so. I, I, think, I think you travel too much. I think you probably look at screens too late. I think you probably eat and drink too late. It's just not that you drink that much, but just... I got some bad habits I need to clean up. <laughs> um, it, before it was capital. I mean, I was just worried that we weren't going to have the balance sheet in a position. Um, so that was stressful a year ago. It was only 12 months ago we brought in that first 13, well, that big chunk to 13 million. And then most recently the 12. So that kept me up at night then. But now it's execution. I want this to work. We all want this to work. We're at a critical moment right now. We just, um, we're in a lot of departments, over 100. Um, there's a there's a lot going on from manufacturing to our internal ERP system to um, all the new hires. Getting everyone to work together and just have that go smoothly sometimes does keep me up at night. Yeah. So. I, I tell you this, and you know what? And I wish I could memorialize the feeling. In 2017, two Octobers ago, our booth, there's 600, over 600 vendors at the ICP conference. We were one of the busiest booths. We stood out. There was an audience around us all the time. And I was in disbelief, you know, of the, the response. You know, it's just, and everybody walked up and said, I know what you're here. My boss sent me by to take a look at it. Mm -hmm. And chief standing, you know, uh, adults standing there watching. I mean, I was saying, like, this was my wow moment. You know, we're here. This, this is launched. You know what I'm saying, Scott? And uh, I mean, if you go to this the, the conference, I mean, it's it takes a million square feet. And we're, we were like the show in my eyes. I mean, we we're as busy as anybody could be. And that says a lot about Bowler Up. And that was two Octobers ago. Two Octobers ago, we were new and just, you know, a small booth. But this time, we were like the show. I mean, we're in the, we were Grand Central Station, and I thought it was the coolest thing to be part of. Well, uh, Scott Cohen, you know, again, uh, I encourage people to also listen to our prior episodes about entrepreneurship and success and all of your uh, amazing habits that have, that have led you to create company after company. And Chief Don DeLuca, you served in Miami for 
26, how many years were you in 26 and a half years in Miami Beach, then Golden Beach, and then Doral. And you were the chief of police in, in Miami Beach, then you were the chief of police in, in Doral, and then you were the chief of the chiefs. You were the, <laughs> you were, you were the president of the IACP, the International Association of the Chiefs of Police for all around the world, 165 countries. Uh, it's an honor to have you guys here. You, it was an honor to be shot slash wrapped. Wrapped, <laughs> please, by, by you. By wrapped. Uh, uh, it, it, I'll tell you my experience because this is the first time I've been wrapped after three years of talking about this. Uh, it didn't, it, I heard a loud sound, which is, was intentional, right? That you want to shock the person. And then, um, uh, uh, I don't know, like a microsecond later, I was completely wrapped around the arms. I tried to push my arms out. I tried to lift my arms up. I couldn't do either. There were hooks into my jacket. Uh, and, but I didn't feel a single thing. I was just simply, uh, detained. Like I couldn't move. So great stuff. And, uh, come on again and let's follow up in a year and see, see what's going on. Thank you. Thanks, James. Hang on. I want you to have a copy of what I think is one of my best books, Reinvent Yourself. Everyone is reinventing. The world is reinventing. Right now is the greatest opportunity you will ever have to create the life that you want. And after talking to hundreds of people and reading over 2,000 books, trying to figure out how people reinvent their lives to achieve their dreams, I learned all the techniques that really helped master a new area of life to get good, to get successful, to thrive. I'm excited about what this book can do for you, and you should be as well. The next step, claim your copy before they're gone. Just go to www.reinventbook.net to learn more. That's www.reinventbook.net.